We are sitting down with Mr. David Alter. Uh, he's a man who's been on the show many, many times. We talked to him about the Toronto Maple Leafs. We pick his brain. Uh, David, how is the evening treating you so far? It's been tiring. I just uh, finished a gym session trying to stay young. It's, uh, it's difficult. Father time is undefeated, and I'm just trying to make it a close game. <laughs> well, I'm sure you got him backed into a corner right now, so you're all No, right. no, no, definitely not. Well, my, my co-host is always right here. Uh, he is the youthful one of the group, I bet you, uh, Mr. Dylan Fournier. Dylan, how's it going tonight, buddy? Hey, yo, we're going. We're, we're pretty good. I had a great day. Uh, how was your day? Day is not bad out here. Sweltering hot in Nova Scotia, but no problems. Uh, we're loving it. We love the hot weather. Uh, keep the snow at bay. The only thing, good thing about winter is, uh, of course, hockey. Uh, gentlemen, I want to ask you the question. July 21st, 2016. A member of Leafs Nation signed his first contract and officially became a Toronto Maple Leaf on paper, Mr. Austin Matthews. Where were you when he signed that deal, David? You know what? I couldn't tell you because when he signed the deal, I don't think it was as big a deal as the other watershed days in Austin Matthews' career because it was <laughs> it was pretty much it was pretty much a foregone conclusion he was gonna sign. I mean, apart from the bonuses thing. There wasn't really much of a debate about whether or not Austin Matthews was going to sign. I could tell you where he was when I was when he was drafted. I could tell you where I was when the Leafs won the lottery, and I could tell you where I was in his first NHL game. I was present at all of those three things. Um, <laughs> but but um, as for when he was drafted, uh, sorry, after as for when he was signed, um, I don't know. I mean, it's July twenty first. I was probably I was working at Twitter at the time, freelancing all, for a whole bunch of places. Um, but I my main job was working at Twitter at the time, so I might have either been at work or I might have been on vacation in New York because I remember I did go that summer. I just or was it that summer? No, uh, yeah, I did go for a few days to visit a friend, but I don't remember when in the summer it was. So I couldn't tell you the the exact day because to me. Like, you know, there's days you'll always remember, but when he signed, I don't think is one where I was just like, oh my God, he signed because like, it's it, like, it was such a foregone conclusion given all the other things related to him. It, the big deal was when he got drafted and when he, uh, and when the Leafs won the lottery, that those are the two I could definitely tell you where I was at. I think for me, I just let a breath of exhale out though, when he finally did sign, just because so many things for so long for the Maple Leafs. Uh, we're not going right. Ever since I would say Pat Quinn uh, was relieved of his duties, it seemed like that uh, the team kind of went on a downward spiral for a very long time. So good things happening to the Maple Leafs were few and far between. Uh, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, Willie Nylander, Morgan Riley, a uh, few bright spots along the way. Um, I want to ask Dylan. Dylan, do you remember where you were? Or are you in the same boat as David? Kind of. Hey, I remember where he was when he got drafted or the lottery, but. As for actually putting pen to paper, probably not. Well, you did mention that I am the youthful person in this group. So <laughs> I, I I don't exactly remember where I was when he signed. I could tell you where I could have been if I was as good as him. I would have been at the draft with him if I was as good as him at hockey. But unfortunately, <laughs> I was not. Man. Um. I could tell you where I was the day before he signed his extension. And that was when I actually met Austin uh, back in behind uh, 
the locker room there. Uh, he signed a jersey for me. So that was a pretty cool moment. Wish he would have told me that he was signing an extension. That would have been cool to break the news to all my <laughs> friends. But, you know, that doesn't happen every day. So, uh, yeah, no, it, it uh, wasn't a very important day to me. So uh, besides the draft and that extension, uh, those were the only key, key ones in my life. Well, I lead us down this path of wondering Austin Matthews' contract. Obviously, we've seen Johnny Gaudreau and now the situation happening with Matthew to Chuck. I want to ask David. I want to ask him because Frank Zaravelli seems to think Austin Matthews is going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf for life. I'm wondering, David, do you feel that Austin Matthews will go the Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew to Chuck route? Or do you think he's happy in Toronto? I'll say my caveat, I think he's happy as a Maple Leaf. Um, a lot of opportunities, a lot of different things that happened to him in this market. Um, obviously, friendship with Justin Bieber, who's a huge Leaf fan, might be a feather in the cap that helps. But we all know business. But uh, I think Matthews is in the business of being in a market with a lot of eyeballs. And what bigger market than the Maple Leafs? Always the media trainers churning. So what do you think of Austin Matthews, David? Look, I think Austin Matthews is going to lean towards one direction, but that will happen after this season. I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen right now. We do know that he likes it here, and we do know that this topic kind of got inflamed by some interviews from some Calgary media types who are just ready to be like, well, it's happening in Calgary. So it's going to happen in Toronto where anyone who's a Canadian that doesn't live in Toronto that hates Toronto knows one thing is a certain that Toronto is not like anywhere else in Canada. Like, like in terms of like in terms of um, the way Toronto is like as a big city, as it's identified as Canadian, you know, people from outside of Toronto seem to hate Toronto. Uh, like, and um, it's, it's one of those things where, Trying to make that comparison that Calgary and Toronto are the same thing is not even close. And like no. that's that's like from a budget, from a how much money is spent on development, from a arenas facility standpoint, they're so much different that the only common denominator in this is that it's American players playing in Canadian markets, and that's it. Like there is nothing to suggest that uh, Austin Matthews is ready to jump ship and leave. But there's also nothing to suggest that he's committed to here. And if I'm Austin Matthews, I'm not really showing my cards right now because, look, this is a team that even though he's been on it, they haven't gotten past the first round. And it's getting harder and harder to retain people because of salary commitments and whatnot. And there's pretty big gambles going into this season as well. And all those things combined, you really have to just wait and see. Because you know what? You can't sign on the dotted line for an extension until July 1st, 2023 at earliest. So why even show your hand one way or another? But like where this all kind of got stirred up about the Calgary media lamenting on, on Matthew Kachuk and, and, uh, and uh, Johnny Goudreau already left. I mean, I get it. Like it sucks for them. But to suggest that the same thing's going to happen here is is categorically false because no one actually knows and they're not at all the same thing. No, I agree with you. I, I see Dylan's got his finger up here. Dylan, go ahead, man. Um, now, obviously, with being a very large uh, market like Toronto, there's a lot of trade talk. 
Um, and I know there's been some big names like Matthew Kachuk that have popped up uh, in recent trade talks. Now, do you think the Leafs are holding on to Nyes uh, very tight in the case that Austin Matthews were to leave in two years uh, just because that, you know, they're very similar players? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I mean, there's a lot of hype with Matthew Nyes and he's certainly – been developing very well. Um, but I don't know if he's ever going to be what Austin Matthews was going in and has been and is right now. Um, I do think that there is a protection when it comes to Matthew Nye solely because the Leafs are so thin in the prospect pool as it is that you don't want to make it thinner unless you're absolutely sure about some sort of move because it is so paper thin right now. Like I've been at Leaf development camp and there's so many unsigned walk-ons to fill out a development camp just because there's not enough prospects to fill it. And then some of the prospects that they do have, they're either too old or they're stuck in Europe and paperwork is an issue to get them to be part of this. So I don't think that's it. Uh, Matthew Nice could very well end up being something, but it's so I like again. It, it's really hard to. It's really hard to say. Like at that first scrimmage that I saw of him, he didn't look particularly great, um, but he hadn't played in a competitive game since April sixth or, or whatever it was, whatever the first day of the Frozen Four was, and the guy covering him was William Villeneuve, who just played three weeks ago in the most intense. Uh, hockey of his life winning a memorial cup so yeah. so it wasn't really fair let's put it that way and and so that's that's why i caution all the overhype and all this other stuff like it's really i know we're in toronto like it's 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 really hard <laughs> to, real, to do man. that but now but when you're there every day you just kind of like you're like okay what is this what is this really going to be and uh, look there's a reason he didn't jump ship most people if the team was after you to to guarantee you some playing time on a roster that was going to the playoffs, a lot a lot of prospects would jump at it. He didn't feel he was ready, and that I think says a lot. And that's why the Leafs are not only taking a cautious approach with him, but he doesn't want to get in too early and then end up being not living up to what he wants to be. And so, um, I I think, yeah, he could potentially be something, but it's it's way too early to tell. What I like, too, about the Matthew Nye situation, it shows a little maturity on his part to know some guys would have just jumped at that brass ring and took the money and, you know, jumped in the NHL and maybe floundered. But also, I like the way that Austin Matthews himself is reaching out to this young prospect and talking to him and, you know, saying, make sure you're ready. You know, don't make the jump if you're not comfortable. You know, go back, refine your game, work on everything, become the complete player you want to be before you get here. I like that leadership quality from Austin Matthews. That really uh, caught my attention as a, another young guy. We talk about maturity. That's another guy who's taking a step. Uh, I don't know if you see it that way, David, but I definitely see that from Austin Matthews and thought that was pretty cool of him. Look, not to, to change topics uh, too early in the podcast, but um, <laughs> I don't remember when it was, and I don't remember if it was on purpose or a slip of the words, but after one of Austin Matthews' benchmark games, Sheldon Keith said he's our leader and that stood out to me that he actually used those words when there already is a captain of this team 
And um, all the other things that Austin Matthews is doing is showing those leadership capabilities. And he certainly is that guy. And um, he kind of bridges being able to identify with younger guys coming up um, and can also identify with some of the older players who, who were there, who were in Austin Matthews uh, spot as a first overall pick and have to adapt and adjust to the game as the game is moving. And you can make the argument now that the game is adjusting so fast that even someone like an Austin Matthews always has to work to make sure the game doesn't pass him by. So, yep. uh, so it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, he's, he's been very good at, at just kind of being very aware of himself and um, also being able to see things and identify things. And, you know, he sees, a, he doesn't, it's not that he sees a little bit of him in, in, um, and Matthew Nyes, but they're both from the same area. They both train together uh, in, in that regard. And so, you know, the, the, the Phoenix hockey representation is a bit of a kinship there because it's such an obscure place that we consider a hockey hotbed, but it's becoming that. And that's why the, the Arizona Coyotes, they can tout that as a little bit of their success by having that imprint there. So, um, yeah, no, that, I think that's important. I think you saw with Michael Bunting because he played in Tucson and they had that kind of chemistry and being able to talk about that market. I think that kind of helped with the off ice, which can somewhat translate on the ice if you have the skills, which is why that's worked out really well. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so look, I mean, there is that kinship there. Um, and Austin Matthews has done a pretty good job of doing the kind of captain like things, leadership group things of, making sure that um, that everyone feels welcome and, and doing whatever. And not to say John Tavares hasn't been doing the same thing. I think um, uh, Nicholas Moldenauer, who's from Toronto, the uh, other pick in the, in the draft, uh, he was telling me the other day that, um, you know, at the practice facility, he's just having breakfast with the other prospects and John Tavares walked him up to him and introduced himself. And he was like, that's pretty crazy as a Toronto kid uh, witnessing that. So uh, Leafs have a good leadership group in that regard, and, and Austin Matthews is certainly at the top of that for sure. Well, re we will revisit the Austin Matthews uh, leadership here thing in a little while. Uh, I have another question to pick your brain on, but let's talk about Leafs dev camp. We're talking about it right now. Um, Matthew Nyes, we all saw the clip that went around the internet of him battling with the puck and going along the boards. It was a 15 or 20 second clip that sent the world blazing. Um, outside of Austin, uh, almost called Austin Matthews. Uh, Matthew Nyes, is there anyone who caught your eye at Dev Camp that uh, Leaf fans may not be talking about? Obviously, a lot of this stuff we don't get to see, especially myself way out here on the East Coast, except for snippets and clippets that could put out or little blurbs that get written about uh, certain yeah. guys. Uh, is there someone who stood out to you that you're like, this guy right here is starting to take steps and we should take notice? I think William Villeneuve is probably that guy. And like, they're just being able to go to being able to go to the Memorial cup advance that way. And now he'll get a lot of reps with the Marlies this season, but also if the depth gets tested, it's not outside of the realm of possibility injuries, whatever the case may be that if they feel he can handle it, that maybe they give him a try and see what they've got in, in that, in that regard. Like he looked really good out there, but again, the problem with prospects and when you saw that stuff, is there's not a lot to go up against, right? Like no. there really, there really isn't. That's why, as cool as that was to see, it's like, yeah, but this dev camp is so thin, like so thin. 
So uh, it's, it's actually been hard for me to really get excited and write about a lot of this other stuff, just because I know that this isn't really a test of the metal. Like there's, there's guys that are missing and, and, um, and the prospect, there's no first rounders here. Like it's, it's tough. Like, yeah, these guys are developing, like some of the second rounders are there. Like Fraser Minton's pretty good too. He looks like he's, he's got the poise and the size. He looks like an NHL player out there. He's just got to work on his skating a little bit more. Um, but the same goes for, for Nyes. Nyes is, is continuing to work on his footwork and you can tell, you know, guy, those type of guys, like the guys who I've mentioned, um, they're getting extra time with all these dev coaches after stuff is done because they just know that they really, they have a limited time there and they're getting, they're going to try and soak everything up before they have to go. So they're getting like four or five days of like, like, I think I, I took a clip of Matthew Nyes working with four dev coaches and a goaltender yep, going, all all over the, going all over the place. Um, just working on footwork and, and everything. Um, they're not doing that with everybody because not everyone's a prospect or not everyone's in that same kind of pedigree, right? So yeah, uh, it's tough. But yeah, I think the William Villeneuve, like we heard whispers about how good he was, but he looks like he's taken a real step there. And the way he controlled Nyes in that first scrimmage, I'm curious to see if it translates again tomorrow for the final one um, because – that one-on-one coverage, it looked like it was all Villeneuve there. And um, that's why it kind of surprised me. But then when I looked at, well, yeah, this guy just played in the Memorial Cup three weeks ago compared to a guy who hasn't played since April in a game-like setting. I get it. I totally get it. So, um, yeah, it's tough. And, you know, there are some the, – the goaltenders, they're kind of working separately. So it's kind of hard to judge them because they're really only doing drills. They're not like, you know um, – Keith Petruzzelli looked pretty good in uh, the scrimmage. He looked pretty good in the scrimmage. He's big and he doesn't. I I I got some time to talk to him um, one on one, and um, you know he's an he's another interesting one. But there's so many other Leaf guys that um, that like it's going to be crowded in that crease. Like you look at it this way, they've got Murray and Samsonov up at the big club, right? Yep. Then they've got Shalgren and. And uh, Wall. Yep. I believe they still have Ian Scott. Uh, Ian Scott oh, no, just uh, oh, he's gone. He left today. He retired today. Oh, too many injuries. Too many injuries. He's walking right. around. I was just going to oh. ask you about that. <laughs> I actually, I actually did not see that. So thank you for letting me know that. Um, I wasn't sure. It's sad because I really, I watched him here in Halifax. He was really Royal good. Cup. He was amazing. He was really good. It was, ex- it was extremely uh, sad. I, I, rem- I, I remember when he got hurt. I remember when he got hurt during training camp uh, last year and it was like, Oh, cause he was, he was likely going to be the guy that could have taken the next step before anybody else. But thank you for bringing that up. Cause I, I missed that today. Um, I, I knew that he wasn't listed on any sort of depth thing, but I didn't know what was going on. Um, anyway. So, okay. So outside of that, we have Wall and Shalgren, like with the Marlies. Yeah. And then you have Petruzzelli. You've got Dryden McKay, who's not at camp because he's still serving this six-month doping ban. So he's not permitted to take part in any sort of Marley's thing until mid-August or mid to late August. Um, But then you've got um, the Flint goaltender, uh, Luke Luke Cavillan as well. And, uh, and, And 
and then you've got well like the Hilda Bees and, and and the Russian guy, like they have their loans that they can go play for. But other than that, it's a pretty crowded crease. So like there's there's uh there's like nine goalies. Like it's it's um <coughs> injuries will happen and guys will move up that way. Um but yeah, it's um like when when, it, when you look at the Petruzellis, who I liked a lot, like I don't know, do you do you have Wall and Shalgren split and make one of them go to Newfoundland so that they're getting more reps to be ready? Or do you make them equal tandem at the Marlies and then equal tandem? Because a lot of times when you didn't do tandem stuff, you would actually have your third string or your fourth string goaltender actually go to the ECHL because you knew they would get more games. And so now I don't know what they do with the setup that they have right now. Well, could a loan be to another AHL team for one of these guys as well to allow them to I play? I mean, the, lo- the loans usually happen later because these teams want to develop their own guys, right? Usually yeah. when you see loans like that to get playing time, it's teams that know that like they're either out uh, or they have injury issues and they have a spot for them or – or they want to make sure that person, like, you know, that they're, they're going to be on a playoff run so they can get more time for that person. Like, that's that's usually where that stuff comes from, from those minors loans that way. Or or things where it's like a favor for a hometown, like you saw with uh, Carter Hutton, when before he yeah. came to Toronto, he was, they just never removed uh, the AHL affiliation of that trade. And um, he stayed there until the Leafs actually did bring him up toward the end of the year, which surprised me because I didn't think that was actually going to be an option for Toronto. But, um, yeah, so uh, Keith Petruzelli looked really good. Um, he, he's, we were talking a lot about the technical stuff, and you know he's been pretty fortunate to stay healthy for much of his career, which has been pretty good. And he's a big guy, and that's hard for big guys to do. So uh, I like where he could go there, but I, I'm sure Dryden McKay and – and uh, Luke Cavillan are, are going to get some looks too, and it makes for a very crowded crease. Well, in that case, I mean, obviously the Maple Leafs have to offload a little cap here, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. Um, could one of those guys be uh, a chip that you put in a trade to add as a sweetener to a team that might need a goaltending prospect? I don't know if – yeah. I don't know if anyone looks at any of the, the Leafs' minor signings that way as as a as a piece in that regard like they're not age they're not nhl contracts for most of them right like the guys below the ahl are on marley's only deals right the ahl chl um like perhaps but like it's gonna run into goalie trouble i don't think that's i don't know if anyone like these guys could have signed anywhere at that time right so yeah i don't know if it's I don't know if that's really the viable option when it comes to salary cap stuff. I have my own thoughts on that, but um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's really necessarily going to be one of those things where they feel like someone's really going to be into Dryden McKay has got to get, unless it goes on some sort of run to start the season, the Leafs just don't have room for him, And then they can use that to, to shore up something else. Sure. Uh, we'll see what that issue ends up being, but goaltending I think is going to be a theme this year. Uh, particularly in the starter spot. So it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, I, I remember toward, um, during that, the draft, it felt like every day I was writing a goalie story. And then it, it seems like, and then even at the end of the year, it felt like I was writing a lot of goalie stories. And then 
I feel yeah. like this year is just going to be that again. So we'll see what happens there. All right. Well, let's change gears from Dev Camp. Obviously, we'll pick your brain when training camp comes around, when these guys go up against some NHLers and really test their metal a little bit more. Um, what do you think so far, just a gut reaction so far, of the Toronto Maple Leafs offseason and what they've done? We won't talk any names, just have to jump, but what does your gut tell you about what they've done so far? I like the depth forward signings. They've they've always shown in a, a, a uh, an ability to do well in those reg- in, in that regard. Minus minus Nick Ritchie, but even then they were able to turn that into something useful. So I, I have no problem with it. I I found it interesting that uh, Kyle Dubas said that um, you know they identified someone like a uh, Nicholas Obe Kubel as someone who can kind of make up for the speed that they'll lose in someone like Ilya Mikheyev. So that that's interesting. Um, whether that that's going to be a tough spot. Um, I I do like the justification with Adam Gaudet and see, and I did watch some of his tape at the Worlds to see what the Leafs liked in him and. I think they see like an, a bunting light possibility there. Someone who can go up and down, but in the right situation with the puck can really excel and, um, and did that at the worlds for USA. Uh, they didn't win, but like he, he, he was their leading scorer in that yep. regard. And, and he had a big overtime goal against Sweden, I believe it was. Uh, so, so that was pretty interesting. Uh, and, you know, he actually did talk about the fact that he had some sort of, uh, stomach fungus that was stopping him from putting on weight, which was why he actually wasn't able to be the Adam God, uh, God that as he was touted. And so now he feels like he's himself. So it, it really is kind of one of those, okay, this kind of under the radar, we're getting this guy again and we saw it at the world. So diamond in the rough, low risk gamble there. Um, the big one, obviously is Cali Arncroak. And uh, a lot of people are excited about that. Uh, The term was something else. But then when I saw that it was virtually the max signing bonus he got in that, it kind of gave me the belief that the signing bonus uh, Leafs are back from 2019. Signing (laughs) mid-range guys to signing bonus deals that uh, will allow for will allow for maximum flexibility once those are paid out, if they need to trade those contracts elsewhere and remove the cap hit. So um, yeah, like the, from the forward standpoint, it looks pretty good. Oh, Victor, uh, uh, the defense, Victor Mete and, and Jamie Ben, Jamie Ben looks like he could be the potential Labushkin replacement, I guess, from a physicality standpoint, if they need someone like that. Um there's also Victor Mete, which is very much a Kyle Dubas-like player. Offensive, can kind of move the puck, um, but there are issues there. But in the right circumstances, right development, they could perhaps really use him in a spot. Um, so I like those spots. Of course, the number one question is going to be goaltending. I've made the argument to a lot of radio interviews I've done this year that you can make the case that the Leafs' starting goaltending spot got worse, but their goaltending depth got better. Yeah. Because, like, their backup is a better spot than it was before. True enough, yep. Then, like, just because the moment they signed Elias Samsonov, like, that makes sense. I knew the moment he was unqualified, the Leafs were going to go after him and try to get him on the cheap. 
there were a lot of reasons why that made sense. They didn't have a lot of money to spend on a goalie. And also young goaltenders who are near UFA do not want to sign long-term deals and will go low in the effort to really bet on themselves and get paid afterwards. And so though the that's why there was a common theme that with everyone except for yarn croak like everyone was not qualified like it was young guys who entered the ufa pool and the Leafs were able to kind of pick pick them all off and the other big thing theme uh everyone had playoff experience every every player that was signed has playoff experience true enough um so so that's another one i think something that they they knew they were kind of getting they, they, they didn't openly admit that it was going to be the number one thing they looked for, but it's something that they knew was an added benefit that they could at least check off on a box uh, with all these guys. So under, so unqualified, like um, unqualified offered young players betting on themselves is the, the leaf strategy for when there's no cap space. And um, they, they tried that with Nick Ritchie when they signed him to that two year deal. Yep. Everyone else is just kind of a UFA for UFA's sake. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's, oh, well, there was also Kasha. He was also not, not qualified uh, last year and then was not qualified again and signed that deal with Washington. So um, that one was probably the biggest head scratcher in terms of how that all went down, just given everything here. So I thought that was interesting too. So is that your theory with the cap as well that the Leafs are, kind of, you know, mining for these guys who aren't qualified and want to bet on themselves. Also, you know, staggering the contracts as well to keep themselves as close to the uh, the LTIR limit if they need to as well. It's something Brandon Pridham's really good at. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't really have much of a choice. Like, the cap is only going up $1 million. Um, They just inked Morgan Riley. His new contract kicks in now. So there's just money being eaten everywhere that there's just not a lot of space. Like, Ilya Mikheyev, you knew he was going to get paid. I was actually surprised he got as high as he did. But, yeah. Uh, but good for him. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, it, like he, he, he definitely, you know, the Canucks saw a lot of Ilya Mikheyev in that, in that, um, in the bubble year. year. Yeah, well, like, yeah. Not in, the uh, bubble year, I know what you're season. talking about. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know what you're talking about. Yeah, so... So they, they knew, they saw, they scouted the Leafs, they saw Ilya Mikheyev. I mean, if you see that highlight of Ilya Mikheyev outracing Connor McDavid on a back check, you know right away that that's attractive to anybody. Like, it doesn't even matter at that point. Like, this guy can keep up with Connor McDavid on a back check. Like, that's, that's unreal speed. And so that's really going to be the big the big issue the Leafs are going to really have, but look for the first two months, the Leafs didn't have them and they were fine. Right. That's their, that's their strategy. So they've got, they've got that going for them in that regard. Um, but yeah, we were talking about um, all this stuff with the, the cap space. They just don't like, that's why the Kelly Arncroke deal is the way it is. People like kind of got their backs up a little bit that it was a four year deal. But when it came out later that, the salary in all four years was minimum and everything yeah. else was signing bonus. It was clear as day that this was going to be another one of those, um, you know, Andreas Janssen, Casperi Kapanen type situations where 
after two or three years or whatever, if it's not working out anymore, they can easily find a suitor to take the cap hit because the cost will actually be so little. That's yeah, the strategy yeah. now. That well, I mean, it's a smart strategy. It's flexing your financial muscle when you can't really flex it with the cap, but you can flex it with the signing bonuses and also it attracts right. people here too, right? I mean, you give a guy a signing bonus, it makes them you know more apt to sign here because they get their money up front. Especially he was called it the present so, value of time, right? Like he's yeah. like, look, Florida's the Floridas and the Washingtons and the Texas teams, they all have their no state income tax advantage. So there's no reason for the lease not to use this. And the other thing about this, and I'm going way too we too in the weeds on this, no, but okay. the, the way that the way the Canadian US tax treaty works is you can defer a lot of money that's paid to you and repatriate those taxes. If you have a residence or wherever that taxes less within North America. And so because it's signing bonus and not salary, you can put that money and repatriate it. So like when Austin Matthews got his money, for example, he could take 85% of that signing bonus that he got, which was a hefty amount yeah. and, and, and make that apply to Arizona taxes and not Canadian taxes. So, so that's the other advantage there. So that's the other thing with the signing bonuses is uh, it's a way to kind of allow people who have different tax harbors to like under the Canadian U.S. tax treaty to repatriate that cash and keep more money in their pocket. Yeah. These are the little things that you talk about into the weeds. No, I love this stuff because that's the stuff. It allows you to add to an argument if someone's like, well, no, they're going to leave because the way the Canadian taxes are. Well, no, now, you know, if when you hear these things, you're like, well, no, there's ways for it to to be worked around up to 85%, yeah. like you just said. So, and especially in signing bonus ways, you know, so that's why the Toronto Maple Leafs can flex that muscle and give guys the money that they probably would get anywhere else. Um, to a certain degree, which is great, you know, which is, it's good to hear. And a lot of people listening to this, when they do listen to it, will hear that and maybe calm down a little bit on the Austin Matthews and other players uh, on that narrative, because it allows, allows people to keep their money. The guy's getting paid. It's okay. Leave it alone. I want to ask you about Austin Matthews. The question I wanted to ask you earlier, when he resigns, and I believe in my heart of hearts, he's going to stick around as a Toronto Maple Leaf. I just do. I don't know why. Call me crazy. Call me whatever. Um, <laughs> when he resigns, though, is it going to be a passing of the mantle of the captaincy from John Tavares to Austin Matthews? I ask that because it would be the perfect time to do it. We just talked about his leadership and growth. That would give him an extra couple years. Who knows what the Leafs do in that time? But that would be almost the perfect time. For John, not to relinquish, but maybe to, like I say, pass the mantle on to Austin and allow him to usher in the next captaincy era. I think there's a lot of reasons to do it. And I think there's a lot of reasons to do it before he signs. Like, I think think you just, you need, like, look, it's going to be a tough thing. And that's just another gesture that the Leafs can make to him to make him want to make a long-term commitment here. And because remember, there was a lot of debate that I, I don't know this for a fact or whatever, but remember when um, they were deciding who should be captain, that's when Austin got himself into a little bit of trouble. Yep. And, and for better or worse, I don't know if that was the decision or not, but 
you know, like it's, it's one of those things where you could show that in this time he's matured. Um, he, he's really become a leader on the team. And I think for better or worse, it takes the focal point off John Tavares who can work on his game and other aspects as he tries to adapt because it was not really the smoothest go for him this past year. So I think for a lot of reasons, I think it just, it would actually take some of the pressure off him and, and can kind of adjust it. And um, I think a lot of people want to see Austin Matthews as captain. When you have the coach saying he's our leader, yeah. whether it was a slip or not, I think that was the first seed being planted uh, that, that it, it should probably happen and they should probably have that conversation as part of if he is going to extend or not, um, or even do it before just as a gesture. But it's something that John has to also be on board with too. Not that I yeah. don't think he would, but it's not unprecedented. In San Jose, they took the captaincy from Patrick Marlowe, I believe, and they rotated and things. And, Pat- and Patrick Marlowe was fine. Like it was one of these things where there's ways to do this where it doesn't look like the big deal like it's not like the Toronto Sun's gonna have like a a photo with the like the C being ripped off and just the stitches yeah. uh, and like some crazy pun. Like I don't think that's going to happen. I think most people would actually think that this is probably where it should have always gone from the beginning had it not been for that one mishap when they were deciding on a captain. Because yeah, that no. threw a lot that threw a lot of, well, now he can't be captain right away. Like, even when you were speculating about it, right? So, like, it was just a bad look. So, you can justify this in a lot of different ways where John doesn't have to look bad and John can be on board with it. Or you can have, uh, I don't even think it's wrong to do a captain at home, captain on the road situation. Like, to start as as part of a transitionary thing. Like, teams do that also. So I think some form of split where there's that gesture made to show what Austin means to this market will only help and not hurt. So I think that that's that's something that they really do have to consider. And, you know, for me, I I would think that, you know, you really can't talk about a contract yet because you can't sign until... July 1st, 2023. Um, But you can have, you can start doing things to make him feel like he's got to be the guy here. And then the other hard part is, will the cap, will the cap move enough at that point where it makes sense for him to sign or will the real, will the money that the players owe to the owners take another year before the cap moves up meaningfully and there's more money on the plate for someone like Austin Matthews. It may not necessarily be a Toronto thing. It might be a, you know, I'm going to wait till, till the cap number, till we know projection wise that there's going to be more money available because as things stand right now, the cap's only going to go up another million next year. And that's only another million to kind of work with under the existing cap. So there's that they have to kind of figure out as well. So there's, there's, there's a lot of things that can be construed one way if he does or doesn't, but there's a lot of reasons that can go along with it that are very nuanced. 
No, I definitely agree with you. I think the C should go on him sooner than later. I, I just think, you know, if you're going to do that contract as well, I think the C. I think it's fine to do it as a, like, for one, for the first year, yep. as a split home road thing, too. I that think would... that's good. But you have a ceremony with John, too, to show that he's on board with it. Because he really has to be. It doesn't work if he's too prideful about it, right? So, but I don't think he's that type. I think he would be on board with something like that if it meant keeping the core together because they truly believe in what they want to do. Yeah, no, I can definitely see it happening. I definitely can. And I do hope that in two years that the cap goes up to a good number. But I think Kyle Dubas is really positioning himself well cap-wise. I mean, a lot of the deals, we talked about it just a moment ago, that are one- or two-year deals. Nothing's too long. Even Matt Murray is two years you know, so that money comes off your books. Um, you know, Samsonov, whatever happens in there, you know, it's one year. Um, so there are guys that will need to get paid, the Michael Buntings, etc. But you look at where he's positioned himself, it's basically keeping the money available for Austin Matthews in case the cap does not go where it needs to go. Taking a lot, a lot more money towards him uh, just means he won't be as insulated in Toronto uh, with, you know, supporting cast. Connor McDavid. Right, but then even then, it's like, what's the number going to be? Like, is he going to get make more than McDavid? I guess that that's going to happen. But then, you know, a lot of people were not thrilled about this deal Austin Matthews signed. Like, a lot of people felt it was a mistake because you were only buying, you were giving such a high cap hit, buying only one year of unrestricted free agency. I look and at it like LeBron James, though. That's the LeBron James thing, right? These guys, these kids are watching these big superstar athletes in other sports. Mm-hmm maximize their earning windows by shotting shorter contracts. I think but that's he, he could have done that by signing a three-year deal and then making an even bigger one after. Like the problem was he only went straight from his ELC to a six-year deal that only bought one year of unrestricted free agency, which was unheard of for that type of deal at that time. Like even the, even the Mitch Marner one at least bought two years. Like, yeah. like it's, it's very different and um, and uh, if he walks away, if he ends up walking away, it, it may go down as one of the worst contracts signed. If he walks away, yeah, not if saying he, he will, but if he does, which is his right, <laughs> it will it will it will forever be known as one of the worst possible deals to sign because you gave him so much so early and only bought one year. And like even with McDavid, like straight out of that, it was an eight-year deal, and and even with um, you know other guys, it's like okay, well then you do a bridge and then you do the big money deal, right? So they didn't even do that, and so and for better or worse, it, it really did hurt the Leafs in terms of not what he made, but all the other ones like the Tavares contract and all the other ones when the price was set so high after they got Tavares that. You know, it t- hindsight's twenty twenty, but I equate it to buying a house when the market goes bust, because yeah. they were always expecting the cap to go up and up, and that was going to be their way out of it. And if the if COVID never happened, perhaps that would have been the case. But when the market flat, when when everything went flat, it was fifty percent cap hit on four guys for many years, and and it. Look, they got creative and they found ways to kind of get some depth pieces and still had 115 points in a season, which is a franchise record. Not going to take any of that away from them. 
but they still haven't gotten past the first round with this core, and that's still the big problem right now. And everything in a vacuum, yeah, yeah, they had a, they ran into the defending cup champs and all that, and refereeing, and people make the excuses, but it's not the the results speak, and they don't have the results yet, and that's really what this this last four years have been defined by. No, I I one hundred percent agree with you. Yeah, I want to see them take the next step. I do think the next step is coming. Uh, for this squad. I want to ask you uh, a couple final questions here. I can hear the clicking in the background. So I know someone dog. needs to definitely uh, probably go out. So <laughs> I, I, I remember a previous podcast, uh, your dog has made an appearance on the show. So yeah, she um, likes to bark. <laughs> that's perfectly all right. Mine are, mine are gated upstairs with mom. So I'm pretty lucky right now. I don't have Very to nice. ask with me. Um, I want to ask this team here, the Toronto Maple Leafs going into this season, what they've done on paper um, do you foresee any more moves uh, before opening night? Obviously, they're over the cap, but there's a lot of guys that they can send down that will even out that number or bring it pretty darn close uh, if they need to. The Cadets, the Simmons, the Cliffords, a lot of guys are on that, that wavelength where they can move them down. But do you foresee another shoe to fall here? A lot of people seem to think so. Kyle Dubas has said as much. He's not done. Um, but do you see a major piece moving to free up the cap space? Well, let's uh, let's look at those comments. When he said they weren't done, that was at the draft, and that was uh, sorry, not at the draft. After the first day of free agency, yeah, and, and, and then and then they they picked up a couple of defensemen and they picked up um, Yarncroak, right? So yep. they weren't done. They could be done now if they get Rasmus Sandin done they might be able to be done now but here's the other thing i'll say about the salary cap so everyone's been talking about how you know they don't have room and they don't have room or whatever they don't have room for for all say sandine signs for a modest raise arbitrarily like 50 percent more than what he's making or whatever don't know what he's actually going to get don't lots to figure out right yep let's just hypothetically speaking say they got him and the leafs are like two and a half million over the cap with, with 23 players or whatever it is. Okay. Let's just make that argument. Yep. First off, they don't need to carry 23 players on their active roster. They only need to carry 20. And if you recall, when they were tight against the cap before they, they waived guys at the final day and they only carried 20 to 21 when they were fully healthy. Like that's all they did. Now, they don't have any entry-level guys that they could just move up and down, so that complicates things in that regard. Um, but also, you know, you could put Simmons on waivers. You can put other guys on waivers that you would expect would probably clear, and then they can just kind of bounce up and down with the Marlies if they're not used with all these other guys that they have. So there's that. But here's the golden kicker, and this is – this is what a lot of people forget about the uh, about the salary cap. And this is something that Lou Lamorello preaches when it comes to negotiating with people and roster transactions. And his philosophy is time is like you're on your side. You do not need to do anything right now. Nope. And the cap, you're, you're allowed to be 10% over the cap up until the day before the season begins. And so what happened days before the season began last year? Do you remember? Fleury moves. No, but there was a big one that gave them a lot of 
a lot of roster relief. Oh, the the injury to Ely McKeev. Exactly. So who knows what the hell can happen between now and and training camp where someone gets hurt in one of eight preseason games and go has to go on LTI or whatever, and that just automatically does whatever needs to be done for them at the time. Not saying that that's their game plan, but I'm just saying that if it was this way and they were over the cap, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean another yeah. move has to happen. It means that between now and the day before the season, they're, they're not cap compliant and something might need to be done, but something might be taken care of for them at that point. So, so they really don't yeah. need to do anything at that time. And, and uh, yeah, you can remove guys. You can only carry – like they can – they might get 23 guys signed, but they only need to carry 20. And then they could just waive guys and have the 30-day roster flexibility that way for the days where they need the flexibility and, like, bring up a guy for an extra body, send them back down, vice versa, and do all that fun stuff. So there might be other moves coming. They still have to figure out what's going to happen with Rasmus Sandin. Where does he fit on this roster? That's another question. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about Alex Kerfoot, but – I, I don't necessarily think he has to be moved uh, in order for the cap to, to make sense. They, they're going to need the forward depth, and he was a pretty useful player for them. Like, yep. Sheldon really liked having Alex Kerfoot around. I don't think they're just ready to just move him just to clear space because he only costs uh, the minimum salary now after his deal right now. So um, I, I don't think that's that. If something is there that makes them better, sure, they might do that, but I don't think it's a necessary move uh there it is a bit crowded on d now a little bit and i'm i'm curious to see where rasmus sandin now fits with everything if they try him on the right side or what they do there once they get him signed which there might be a bit more clarity on friday when the deadline comes for him to sign his qualifying offer yeah i'm looking forward to that i'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the defense I'm really looking forward to seeing what's happening with Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. I really want to see what that goalie tandem can do. It's going to be the number one story for days. It really is. It's The goaltending was such a circus in 2022. Uh, in 2021, it seemed fine, although Peter Mrazek got hurt his very first game and then couldn't get healthy after that. Um, but in 2022, it was such a circus. And it looks like for the beginning of 2022, it might be the same thing, but we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an open competition, they say. I imagine Murray will get will take the the the, the first Line chance. Care. Well, he'll take the first chance, but if it's if it's clear that Samsonov is actually performing better, I don't think they'll hesitate to pull the shoot on that um, and figure out what they they're going to do. But it's a it's a gamble for sure, and. Uh, that move to me suggested to me that um, that Kyle Dubas has the support to kind of do whatever he wants because if he was, if he really was worried that this year this was the year and he was gone, maybe he does make the commitment to someone more long term because it wouldn't be his problem anymore. That's very very true. Uh, I'm hoping Matt Murray bounces back myself. I really do. I really like the story. You know, he told when he came a leaf. Um, you know about his dad and him watching that and you know, feeling closer to his dad. That was really, uh, really something to hit home with me. I really want to see this guy do well. And you know what? There's been so many players, David, that have come through to Maple Leafs, uh, Tyler Ennis, Jason Spezza, 
and Joe Thornton, many others who've raved about the way the uh, the Maple Leaf staff, medical staff, uh, the facilities, everything has really helped them come along uh, as players and rejuvenate them or you know get them back to where they need to be to be playing properly. So I'm hoping whatever the Leafs have magic-wise, they can sprinkle some on Matt Murray and uh, bring them back for us and let's have some fun and watch a goaltender with playoff experience lead the Leafs to something. Do you remember when Joe Thornton was on the first line with Matthews and Marner to start the 2021 season? <laughs> yes, I do. That that was uh, that was something else. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it was a fun experiment, and I get it. Like a lot of it made sense for a lot of guys who just hadn't been playing hockey for so long that he could kind of hang with it until everyone's conditioning kind of caught up. It's not too dissimilar to what the Marlies or what the Maple Leafs did in 2013 when they had. Ben Scriven start their season and Mike Koska was the first pair D with Dion Phaneuf because Koska had been playing every day where the other guys hadn't been. So uh, it's not too dissimilar in that, but it, it just kind of goes to show you how weird the last couple of years can be. Oh, 100%. Well, one thing that hasn't been weird is getting you on the show and getting to talk about the Maple Leafs. <laughs> um, I love it, man. I love having you on. Uh, I look forward to uh, to getting you on again towards uh, you know some point in training camp. Um, yeah. get your feel on things again. Um, my friend, I'm, I'm very happy to have you on. I want to ask, how is everything going with the new venture? Um, you know, obviously moving last summer, I think it was over to where you are now and where you're writing. Oh here. yeah. No, it wasn't even last summer. It was in January. Yes, it was. Sorry. I, yeah, I no, it's okay. It's, it's hard. Whirlwind. I, I, I joke with my colleagues now that I'm the Mike Sillinger of sports media. Uh, uh, because, cause I, I just, move around a lot in, in those situations and don't go long-term anywhere. And that's, that's not necessarily by choice. That's also the nature of the industry. It can yep. be brutal. Like it really can be brutal. And, um, but for those who love it, they try to find a stick and stick in a way. And um, for me, this, this venture with sports illustrated was so important for me because actually two years ago when they were in a partnership with the hockey news, the structure of how I'm doing this now is, was the idea for what I was supposed to be doing with the hockey news, which was a separate team site dedicated to Leafs content where I would essentially run it. And so the structure of it is publisher, not just reporter. Like I'm doing everything because it's essentially my site within sports illustrated. So, so that's the structure I've always wanted. It's, it frees me up to, if I build it up that I can build a I get a staff under me for it. If it, if the web traffic starts to grow, which I'm hoping with my following, the interest, all that other stuff, I can grow this into a nice little business. And so in that regard, this is the last move I hope to make in a while. I've got other announcements I'm hoping to announce soon that are unrelated to writing. Well, some are related to writing. One's a newsletter and then maybe a potential podcast, but um, those are still kind of being figured out but yeah, we're living in an age now and you're doing this with your venture too, that, you know, if you just build, if you just work on you, yeah. you can, you can be you and do the job the way you want to do it. And that's, that's what I'm very happy about with the sports illustrated structure, because it really does allow for me to, to be me and run things the way I want to run it. If I have a day where I don't feel like writing or it's too busy because I'm traveling, I'm not answering to an editor in chief who's like, we need this now. So having that liberty and having the ability to do that and just interact with 
fans that way uh, has been has been very liberating, and so I'm very excited for it. Well, we're looking forward to every venture, and of course, I always tell people where I get most of my news and information from. <laughs> this guy beside me can vouch. When we uh, have our group chats, I'm always posting things from your Twitter page, uh, the quotes and things. Uh, that's where I get my information. So I love man. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the support. Like just hearing that, it means the world to me. So I do appreciate. It's not a worry at all. I just hope when, uh, if there is a David Alter esque podcast in the works, I hope we still get to have your voice over here sometimes too. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's it. no like, there's no exclusivity like that. It's just it's um, you know, I started my career in radio, and I haven't been, I haven't had a podcast since 2017, and that was when I was working at the Athletic at the time, and so uh, it it's you know I miss it. I it's my favorite. Chatting is my favorite medium. I like it more than I like writing. I can tell. Uh, so, so, so um, I, I, it's a platform that that begs for me to come back to, and it's, it was just a matter of finding the right company, the right people that are like minded, like myself, uh, to kind of where it makes sense. Because the worst thing I could have done is start one and then stop it. Cause it's not working. Yeah. I really don't want to make an announcement and be like, well, now it's over. In fact, I saw on Reddit when I made my announcement with sports illustrated, one guy, one guy replied and he was totally right. I was joking. I was laughing when I read it. He's like, I like that David Alter guy. I follow him and everything. And I wish him nothing but the best, but this guy announces has too many job announcements. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, I was like, you know, like, you're right. Like you're right. I do. Um, it's not by design, but like I do. So, um, yeah, no, I'm hoping that the, the SI one will be the last one for a while. But the other thing too is, look, I was the only reporter on the road for every game last season. And the reason why was because I was looking for a structure that would allow me to do the job the way I feel we fans want the job done. Yep. And when you had legacy places just kind of, cheaping out well we don't need to go to this game or that game or budgeting and all that stuff like you guys co-own the team like really like the nickeling and diming like they, they, they may think in the short term it's not doing any damage but you know younger people notice that stuff they do oh, especially yes. leaf enthusiasts so so like when there's times where i'm doing these news conferences i'm the only one there i'm like oh my god um yeah, so so again with this other structure, it will still allow me to do the job the way I want to do it, which is covering every game and making sure everything gets covered. So that's just the way it goes. No, like I said, we're pumped, man. Absolutely pumped. I love reading your stuff. You have all usually you're the first one with the quote, and then everybody breaks down your quotes and starts spreading them around uh, throughout the Leafs uh, Leafs lure. So. I know you're a go-to spot over here and you're a go-to spot for a lot of people, my friend. So keep doing the hard work. We appreciate having you on, my friend. Um, I'm not going to take up any more of your... your... That's okay. Oh, James. I I think we lost your mic, James. James, you muted. There you go. I I might be back. All right. Well, I Mm -hmm. want to appreciate you, Say, I appreciate you having on. Uh, Look forward to talking to you towards training camp. Um, also just want to say shout out to our sponsor, Boxing Rock Brewing Co. Here's the puck off Lagerdale, the big beer for the big game or the big podcast, whatever you want to do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this right here is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. 
a special one with our friend, David Alder. 